We're going to be considering this morning in our little series, uh, Rich Man, Poor Man, Beggar Man, Thief, we're going to be looking at uh, Jesus and the outlaw. And uh, there'll be some relevance to what Tony's just been talking about as we work through it this morning. So we're going to read uh, some verses from Mark chapter 2. They'll come up behind me on the screen and you'll be able to follow them there. So I'm going to read uh, from the book of Mark chapter 2. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is a really interesting little story. I remember uh, a number of years ago, um, Annie, uh, my wife, was going to London to visit her sister uh, in Crouch End, North London. And uh, so she left. I uh, sent her on her way. Uh, She drove off uh, very happily, went up uh, up the M3, up to the M25, driving around the M25. And then suddenly, she, instead of turning right down the M40 towards London, she turned left up the M40 towards the Midlands. And uh, after uh, some uh, while driving up the M40, she noticed that none of the signs were saying London, central London, north London. And uh, she noticed all the signs were saying Midlands. And uh, she uh, uh, obviously started to panic, pulled off, wasn't sure where she was now, pulled off uh, the motorway, pulled onto one of the side roads, and ended up in a pub car park. Uh, and in this pub car park, she, uh, she just prayed, God, I, help me, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go. And uh, there was this guy uh, outside a van, uh, probably not what you should do in a, 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 as, a, a, as a lady on your own in a moment like that. She goes up to this guy and she says, I need to get to Crouch End, London. And the guy said, that's okay, follow me. He gets into his van, she follows him. He fo- she follows him all the way down, back down the M40, all the way through numerous roads, and he drives through Crutch, and he actually drives past the house that she needs to be, her, where her sister lives. Angel, yeah, maybe an angel, yeah. Angel, a white van angel. In the passage that we've just read, we've we've come across a moment that's just a little like that. This tax collector is lost. He's lost in life. He doesn't know where he's going. He uh, knows he's probably going the wrong way, but he doesn't know how to get around and go the right way. And this person comes alongside him, Jesus, and says, follow me. And Levi takes this huge step of faith. He leaves everything behind and he follows Jesus and his life is transformed. It is a great story. 
The story, at one level, seems really simple and straightforward. Follow Jesus. And yet nothing uh, could uh, be further from the truth. Because, you see, being a tax collector was guaranteed to win you no friends. His job was to ensure the coffers of the the despised king Herod Antipas were kept full. The taxes were exorbitant. The people were impoverished. Tax collectors were hated. They were the scum of the earth. Everybody hated them. They were on no one's Christmas card list. They were the dregs of society. The amazing thing is that Jesus calls people like that to follow him. And the truth is he still calls people like that to follow him today. Tony's testimony is a case in point. Tony deserved nothing and yet Jesus comes and effectively says, Tony, follow me. And his life is never the same. And yet as far as the religious rulers of the day were concerned... The tax collectors were outlaws. They were breaking God's law. It was no wonder they got mad when Jesus regularly mixed with people they considered sinners. People breaking God's law. How could Jesus, who said he was speaking on behalf of a holy God, spend time with people like that? How could he do it? What was going on? They concluded he must be guilty by association. Jesus wasn't the slightest bit bothered. He didn't give a jot what they thought. In fact, he strangely makes clear that he's actually come to fulfill God's law and not undermine it. How confusing is that? The Pharisees couldn't understand it. You see, the truth is, the Pharisees, what they didn't get was that we all break God's law. We're all outlaws before God. We're all people who have undermined God's standards. The Pharisees just didn't get it. They were, uh, uh, they, they were like people who could see splinters, bits of sawdust in other people's eyes, but they couldn't see the log that was in their own. We've watched this week or these last weeks Lord Sewell giving up his resigning from his seat in the the Lords. He was the chair of the Privileges and Conduct Committee. And yet he's caught up to all sorts of things that we won't even bother mentioning this morning. And he has to uh, resign. He sits on a committee considering ethics and Uh, the way people behave, and yet he himself is living so far differently from that, and in the end gets caught up. The Pharisees are just like that. You see, the truth is, we are all outlaws before God. You see, the Pharisees thought they were God's people. He was pleased with them. Jesus' assessment is radically different. Jesus said to them, they're they're like graves that are well kept on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones. You see, the truth of it is that none of us can stand before a holy God and say, never say we've done anything wrong. 
You see, God's law is encapsulated in the Old Testament in what we call the Ten Commandments, what we know as the Ten Commandments. And the first two of those laws, two of God's commandments, the first two make clear that God expects us to only worship him. He created us, and so he rightly deserves our thanks, our praise, our worship, our adoration, and our love. The Bible calls that giving him glory, giving God the glory that he deserves, the honor that should be given to God by everything in the universe that he's created. We were created to bring God glory. God is jealous for his glory, the Bible tells us. It says he won't share it with another. He's not prepared to share his glory with another. It's rightfully his. And we rob God of his glory when we refuse to honor him, when we refuse to give him the glory that's rightfully ours in our lives, when we live without reference to him. Tony was talking about uh, intellectual property, talking about how it's easy to steal other people's glory, the honor that's due to them when we don't reference them. That's what it's like on a cosmic scale. We are stealing God of his glory when we live without reference to the one who made us. He deserves honor and praise. He made us. He created us. All too often, we focus on the good things that he gives us and forget the one who gave them to us in the first place. All too often, we focus on the gift, but not the giver. When, by choosing to make the main focus of our lives, relationships, career, acquiring wealth, or anything else, we are tacitly saying to the God who made us, that you are not that important. And when we do that, we forget that we are a little more than an accumulation of specks of dust that one day will disappear. We have all fallen short of God's glory. We are all outlaws before God. And the truth is, outlaws must be punished. Justice must be done. And the Pharisees were teachers of the law. They understood it. They, they got that right. That's probably the only thing they got right. They knew that people who break the law deserve punishment. If there's no justice, God's kingdom just collapses in on itself. The Bible says that God's kingdom is established on righteousness and justice. Ultimately, there is a day coming where God is going to hold everyone to account. All of us will be held to account for how we've behaved, the things we've done, whether we've honored him, whether we've lived for him. Throughout the Bible, you see instances where God does that. And the truth is that we all want people who've committed heinous crimes to be held to account. That's fair, isn't it? We want that to happen. We think that is outrageous. One day, they will have to pay for that. The sad thing is, we all want ourselves to be treated leniently. Somehow we think that how we behave, that's not so bad. That's terrible. This is, I'm, I'm not that bad. I'm a good at heart. Before God, we are all outlaws. 
Why was Jesus seemingly so indifferent to Levi and his friends, tax collectors and sinners? Why was Jesus so, seemingly so indifferent to them when he is the son of a holy God? He himself is holy. How can he seemingly be indifferent to the problem of sin? The issue is, you see, the good news is, is that Jesus knew he was the answer. Jesus came, as we heard this morning in the worship, because God was determined justice would be done. God so loved us, he didn't want us to receive the justice we so rightly deserved. And so, before the creation of the world, the Bible says, God came up with a plan. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, came up with a plan. And the plan was this, that sin would be dealt with because God's Son would come. The perfect sacrifice to take the rightful punishment for our wrongdoing, for our living without reference to God. Justice would be done. 2,000 years ago on a cross just outside Jerusalem, God's wrath and anger at our rebellion would be dealt with through his Son. And that Jesus would rise from the dead and conquer death and sin that we might have a relationship with God. Hallelujah. God fiercely dealt with sin that we might be made right with himself. God's son became an outlaw so that all those who are outlaws might be able to become God's sons. How good is that? Justice must be done. And yet as we look at this story, we see the scandal of grace. The scandal of grace. I was, I followed this story over the years. There was a, a guy, a, a, an American, uh, who was a TV evangelist, a guy called Jim Backer. And uh, he ran something many years ago called Praise the Lord Ministries. And uh, it collapsed in scandal, in shame, in sexual misdemeanors, huge financial fraud, and Jim Backer went to prison. Rightly so. Charlatan. Went to prison. And as he's in prison, he has a visitor one day. Has very few visitors. Most people don't want to know him. But he has a visitor. And his visitor is Billy Graham. And for those of you who don't know, Billy Graham uh, uh, ran huge crusades uh, in the 60s and 70s. He's, uh, uh, he has been someone who has had the ear of most presidents of the United States. He is an outstanding evangelist, loves God, a godly man. And Billy Graham went to see him in prison. And Billy Graham, as he's in prison, he prays with him. And he shares with him the grace of God, the gospel. And when Jim Backer comes out of prison many years later... Billy Graham and his wife Ruth are at the gate to meet him and they, they take him home and they put him up in their house and they take him to church with them. And uh, he's restored, seemingly. And I looked up what he was doing at the moment. So I looked up what he was doing this week and, um, and this is what I read. 
He's currently on Christian TV. Okay? He's warning people that when disaster hits, money won't help. And he is raising money by selling things like, uh, uh, he's selling goods that are going to help you through like a, a, a nuclear war. And he's selling things like time, times of trouble beans for, to people, to gullible Christians. And, and I read it, and I just thought, I just looked from a distance, and I was outraged. I thought, Billy Graham, what are you doing? What were you thinking? And then it struck me. He was demonstrating the grace of God. Because the grace of God is scandalous. The grace of God is not conditional. What shocked the Pharisees was that Jesus was spending time with Levi and his 'er ne'er-do-well friends who seemingly hadn't changed. Nothing had changed. Their lives were still dishonoring to God. And the word scandal comes from the Greek word scandal. And it means an action or event that's regarded as morally or legally wrong. And it causes general public outrage. The Pharisees were scandalized by Jesus. You see, Jesus never made moral repentance a precondition of his love and acceptance. God's grace is outrageous. And the Pharisees couldn't cope with Jesus and the way he behaved, and so they rejected him and his message. And we read in Romans chapter 9, verses 32 and 33, this is what it says. This is sort of what happened to the Pharisees. And what you need to know is that the word that we're going to read, stumble, comes from this root word scandal. And they were scandalized. That's what it's saying. So where it, we talk about offense, stumbling, scandalized. It's all from that same root word. This is what Paul says. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is a gospel of grace. Jesus came to save outlaws. Are we like the self-righteous Pharisee somehow believing we're not as bad as others? It always shows when we're scandalized by grace. We become nitpicking, moaners, grumblers, bitter, judgmental, harsh, Are we like that? The tax collectors, they knew they deserved nothing. They knew they deserved nothing but punishment. They knew that they were skimming money off the top in order to feather their own nest. They knew what they were. They knew they had no rights before God. The thief on the cross, when he Hanging next to Jesus. Jesus is crucified. Jesus crucified like an outlaw between two criminals. And one of them turns to Christ in his dying moments. And he says to his friend, we are getting what we deserve. But this is the Son of God. And he comes to faith in Christ at the last. Jesus calls outlaws to follow him. And following Jesus is an act that involves risk and cost. 
It is something we do. It's not something, it's not just what we think or believe. Levi changed in a moment. He no longer was the person he was. He was completely different. He became a new man in Christ. And that can be true for you today. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You can follow him today. You can make that first step of turning and following him and leaving the old behind today. Maybe you're a little like one of the Pharisees, scandalized. Find yourself caught in a trap. Looking and feeling judgmental and angry. You can can know what it is to know the grace of God afresh in your life today. You see, if we're a follower of Jesus, we need to live every day for his glory, to put him first, to honor him in our lives as young people as you go away to New Day. You go away to New Day and it's uh, one week in a year. And maybe this year you sort of feel you've struggled and your walk with God is a bit distant and you're going, I've been to New Day before, I know what it's like. I want to tell you, God wants to get hold of you at this new day. He wants to grab hold of you. He wants you to be young people who know what it is to know the grace of God every day. He wants you to walk with him all your days. He wants you to love him all your days. God wants to grab hold of you with his grace. John Piper, in his book Desiring God, says this. Listen to this. He says we, need, we glorify God by allowing him to serve us. I want you to think on that. We, allow, we glorify God by allowing him to serve us. Surely we glorify God by doing things for him. When we do good things, when we live good lives, we glorify him. Surely that, that's, that's what the Bible... Actually, no, it's not like that. Jesus said, Jesus said this. He said, I came... To serve, not to be served. What does that mean? Jesus came to serve us, not for us to serve him. What's going on? Well, it's like this. God is our source. God is the source of everything that we need. And when we acknowledge him as a source, and when we live out of the good things that he does for us, and we say, thank you, God, we give him glory. That's when we give him glory, when we acknowledge that he's our source, that he's our everything. And so it says this in uh, Psalm 50, verse 15. This is what it says. Call upon me in the day of trouble... I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Think about that. When you're in trouble, you go to your source. You call upon God in your day of trouble. He says, I will deliver you and you will glorify me. So we glorify God when we honor him as uh, the center of our lives. So when God says that he's our provider, that he's our righteousness, that he's our sanctifier, that he's our peace, that he cares for us, that he's our shepherd, when we acknowledge that, when we allow him to be that to us and when we give him glory for the way he looks after us, it honors him. So Nikki's testimony this morning was giving him glory because he proves himself to her and she says, God, you're amazing. How good are you? We give God glory 
when we honor him and we thank him for what he does. We're to be those who trust him, who seek his face, who wait for him. We're not the answer. Jesus is. And when we allow him to be the answer for our lives, we give him glory. He loves to answer our prayers. He's not glorified by my performance. I don't, he's not glorified by my performance about being a, a good leader or a good preacher or a good father or a good husband. He's, not, he's glorified when I honor him and I put him first and I live for him. And we glorify him by, putting, by allowing him into our lives. When we're in trouble, we cry out to him. We trust him. We believe his word. When you're in work on Monday morning, it's allowing him into every part of your day. When you're going into a tough meeting, saying, God, be with me in this moment. Please help me. And at the end of it, God, thank you that you were with me and you helped me through that. It's by allowing him into every part of your relationships, into your friendships, into your marriage, into your homes. When we allow God in, we give him glory. It's in the way we speak. We speak positively because God has done such wonderful things in our lives. We, are, uh, we, we think positively about things. We think positively about people. We think about what's good and what's right and what's true and what's noble. And, and when we do, uh, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and we start to speak positively. Because God has, uh, God has done something remarkable. So we focus on the good things that God has done and we honor him in the way we speak and the way we live and the way we relate to one another. We want to be those who follow Jesus. We're going to do something in the autumn called Following Jesus on Wednesday nights. I want to encourage you to be there because we want to be better followers of Jesus. Because it's as we follow him, as we live for him, as we honor him, as we glorify him, that's when we make a difference in this world. Grace is scandalous. Jesus still comes for outlaws today. Is that you this morning? Maybe you feel like an outlaw. Maybe you feel you've made loads of mistakes. Maybe you've made mistakes in relationships. Maybe you've made mistakes uh, in terms of the way you've behaved, things you've done, the way you've been thinking. Maybe you know you've just messed up. And you've been thinking, how can God ever do anything with me? I come to church, but I'm I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm no good. Well, the scandal of grace is that God is enough for you. He wants you to come to him this morning. He wants you to turn. He wants you to know that he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin. He's faithful and just because of what Jesus did on the cross. He's not faithful and merciful. He's faithful and just. God cannot forgive, uh, cannot not forgive your sin. He would be unjust if he did not forgive your sin because his son died for you. Give your life to him. Put your trust in him. If you've not done that today, do that this morning. If you're far from him, come to him afresh. Run to him as Jamie encouraged us to do this morning. Maybe this morning you, you've been scandalized You've been like caught like one of the Pharisees. And the picture 
uh, that the word scandalized conjures up is this. It's like an old-fashioned trap of how they used to catch birds. And they'd have a net and they'd put a stick and rest the top of the net on a stick. And they'd put a little bit of, uh, uh, of crumbs or something in the, on the floor. And the bird would come in and the stick would be on a string. And they'd pull the stick away and the net would fall on the bird. The stick was called a scandalon. That's what it was called. That's what the Greeks called it. That's called a scandalon. And someone caught in the net would be scandalized. They're caught, can't get out. Maybe you have been caught like that. You've been scandalized. Scandalized by... You're like a bird in a trap. What's the evidence that you've been caught like that? Just feel offended in your heart. Just offended... It's like a rerunning a video, something that keeps running over and over and over. You can't let go of it. You can't forget it. This thing that it just bugs you, irritates you. Rehearsing details, running over details, critical spirit. It's not my fault. It's everybody else's fault. It's God's fault. It's the church's fault. Scandalized. Unforgiveness, anger. When we get like that, we're like birds of a feather. They gather together. Are you scandalized? God wants you to know you can be set free today. The grace of God is enough for you. It's not about how you perform, it's about Him. It's about Christ. It's about turning to Him and looking to Him again. I'm going to finish here. We're going to ask the musicians to come out. Can I? Just share with you, there's a little bit in Genesis chapter 27. It talks about Jacob and Esau. And Jacob's a bit of a twister, and uh, he wants his father's blessing. And uh, it's rightfully his older brothers, and he, he, he wants to get it. So he twists to get it, and uh, he tries to deceive his father that he's his older brother. And he, uh, he goes to his father, and he puts, uh, uh, his older brother is, uh, he's sort of quite a hairy bloke, so he puts some animal hair on his, he wears his brother's clothes, animal hair on the back of his neck, and uh, he goes to his father, and his father, his father eventually gives him uh, uh, his blessing, thinking that, that he's the older brother. And Terry Virgo talks about that as just being a beautiful picture of how we are in Christ. We're rotten and corrupt, and yet we are clothed with Christ, and our older, uh, and our father accepts us. Beautiful picture of the gospel that, you know, we're messed up and, and God accepts us in Christ. And yet there's another little beautiful bit to that picture which I picked up as I was reading it. And it says, Isaac the father says, when he, uh, Jacob comes to me, he says, I smell, this, uh, it's, well, he says, what he says, it says, it sounds like my son Jacob. Sounds like Jacob. And then later on it says, he says he smells the, the garments of his older son Esau. And when he does that, he can't help but bless him. This is what I want you to get. Sometimes we can sound like our old selves. We can sound like when well, nothing's changed, I'm useless, I'm rubbish, I'm no good, I'm rotten to the core, I'm an outlaw, I'm a crooked like Jacob, I stand before my father, he's going to see through me, he hears my voice, I sound like my old self. But God catches the smell, the aroma of Christ on us. 
And when he catches the aroma of Christ, God cannot help but bless us. You may sound like Jacob, but to God, you smell like Esau. You smell like his son, Jesus Christ. And so today, you don't have to stay scandalized. You don't have to stay in your past. You don't have to be like a Levi, an outlaw. God sent his son so that you could come into the family of God. Outlaws can become in-laws. We're going to stand together. And I'm going to pray for us. And what we're going to do, we're going to break bread. This is an appropriate response for us. And what we're going to do is this. The musicians are going to play quietly behind us. We take bread and wine. And this is an opportunity for you to do business with God. Maybe you feel like you, you, you are like an outlaw. Christ died for you. And all you need to do, you need to run to him. You need to come and say, God, thank you for your son who died for me. His body broken for me. His blood shed for me. That's what we're taking, bread and wine. It reminds us of Jesus' body on the cross broken, his blood shed on the cross for us. And as you come, you come and you take that bread and wine and receive forgiveness. Receive sonship. Know that you're a son and a daughter of the living God. You're not an outlaw anymore. You've come into the family of God. And maybe you're here for, and it's the first time you're thinking, well, I want to give my life to Christ. You can come and take bread and wine as a son. I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ today. And come and talk to us at the end. But if you're scandalized, if you're caught, if you've just been living with stuff, you feel you've been frustrated and bitter and far from God now is your day don't be like a Pharisee just stands on the distance judgmental come today come back come run to your father run to the one who sets you free I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to come and take bread and wine you might want to do it with someone else you might want to do it by yourself So I'm going to pray, and then you're going to come and take bread and wine, and then we're going to finish the end of the song. Father, we come to you, the great God of heaven and earth. We thank you for this magnificent gospel. Magnificent gospel. Wonderful gospel. You so loved us that you sent your son across the cosmos, your sin-free son who came to this sin-sick world and bore the punishment for our sin that we might be forgiven. Father, that is magnificent. It's a scandal in the eyes of this world, but it is magnificent grace to us. It's outrageous and we grateful for it. As we take bread and wine this morning, we thank you for your son's body broken for us. Your son's blood shed for us.